Welcome to a special interview episode of Broadway Radio. My name is Matt Tamanini. On today's episode, I'm in conversation with Paul Salsini, the founder and original editor of the Sondheim Review. For over a decade, Paul maintained a somewhat unlikely long-distance relationship with Sondheim, as the legendary composer would keep very close tabs on the magazine that chronicled his work. In Salsini's new book, Sondheim and Me, Revealing a Musical Genius, Paul goes deep into the correspondence that he had with Sondheim, whether that was correcting a factual mistake, editing a typo, or in some cases, getting pretty upset about things that the review actually published. I had a great conversation with Paul, got into a lot of details, including why he first fell in love with Sondheim's works, what his fairly regular phone calls were with Sondheim, and much more. Of course, we all have information in the show notes on where you can purchase Sondheim and Me, Revealing a Musical Genius, and I highly recommend it as a holiday gift to the musical theater lover in your life. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Paul Salsini. Paul, I think that the place to, to start first for those listeners that might not have been around uh, as long as perhaps you or I have. Can you give people a little bit of an idea as to what the Sondheim Review was when you started it and then what it became over the course of its entire life before and after you were running the publication? Okay, well, I'll, I guess I'll start with that I'm a journalist and I worked for a, a paper in Milwaukee for uh, a long time, ending <laughs> up with 37 years. But at that point, I was an, an ed editor at uh, the Milwaukee Journal. And so I approached um, the Sondheim Review as a journalist. The reason I, I founded the magazine was because uh, I was so enthralled with Sondheim's work. And I had gotten a newsletter from the Kurt Biles uh, Foundation which uh, reported on Kurt Vile's work. There were essays, there were reviews, there were interviews. And I figured that why should a dead composer have a newsletter and not the greatest living composer lyricist? So uh, I, I can't imagine right now that I had the church spot to do that, but I did. And uh, I rounded up uh, other writers and a uh, designer and a business manager. And we did it. Uh, it was sort of like a Judy Garland uh, movie that, you know, <laughs> let's put on the show. A little Mickey Rooney in there. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it, when we started, it was it was pretty much the same as it uh, ended up in, during my term. Um, it was a, a slick magazine. We had a very nice designer who had imagination and uh, put out a place, uh, knew how to design pages. And uh, I got uh, a number of uh, writers who would review uh, his productions and write essays and do interviews with people, not only with actors or directors, but also with people who knew Sondheim's work and were able to talk about it. So it became a, a journalistic effort. It certainly wasn't a fanzine. I, that was the last thing I wanted it to be. And I think that's the reason why Sondheim uh, respected it. Uh, he might not have known it at, at what it was at the beginning, but I think he came to know it as a respectable journalistic effort. And 
you talk about in the very early, it might have even been in the introduction or one of the first chapters, that even though you had heard Sondheim's work before, it was really Follies that kind of began your love and enthrallment with his scores and in his shows. What was it about Follies that not only led to you being such an admirer of his work that you wanted to start an entire publication to it, but also just the thing that kind of grabbed you as a musical theater fan just on its own merits uh, as a standalone show. I'd always been interested in musical theater and I'd gone to a number of shows, though um, I hadn't been to New York to see. Well, once I went to New York to see shows, but it was on the trip in uh, 1972 that really uh, turned me on to, to Sondheim because that's when I saw Follies. And uh, as I say in the book, the, that uh, and I'm gonna, uh, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll read you a little section Please here. do, yes. Um, when the lights went down and the music came up and tall showgirls wearing immense headpieces descended the staircase on the stage, I knew I had never seen a musical like this before. I was mesmerized. The huge cast, the aging movie stars, the spectacular set and costumes, the lush orchestrations, the movements so continuous that it seemed like a film. It was all magical. Unlike so many others, this was a musical for adults. Uh, and there were so many layers and follies, it's difficult to explain. On the surface, it was a story of two couples attending a reunion of showgirls who had been in Follies reviews. But more than that, it was a story of love and loss, past and present, failure and redemption, youth and aging, missed opportunities and unforgivable mistakes. In short, it explored the follies of our lives. And that's that's really what, uh, you know, I was, it was, as I say, a musical like I had never seen before. And I needed to know much more about the composer lyricist who created this this wonderful work. And this book, Sondheim and Me, kind of goes through your entire, I don't know if relationship is the right word, but working relationship with him because he did become invested in the success and perhaps most importantly in the accuracy of the Sondheim review. Before we get into kind of some of those interactions that you had with him, the book has so many great firsthand um, interactions and accounts, whether it's from letters that you exchanged with him or phone calls that you had with him or public appearances that he did for the review. Can you just kind of run through what the backbone of this book is and, and how you kind of tell the story of the interactions that you had with him based off of these firsthand accounts and interactions? Uh, sure. Um, when, after Sondheim died last November, um, I hadn't been doing much with Sondheim since I left the magazine, but I went through all of the magazines, and more important, I went through the notes and letters that he sent me, and I realized that there was a treasure here that other people would like to see, uh, because his notes were so specific about pieces in the magazine. And he would, uh, he would, uh, emendations is the word that he often used. <laughs> I had to look up that word. That's, I admit, even being a journalist myself, that's not a word that I was immediately familiar with. So that feels very Sondheim. 
It is very Sondheim. I don't know how you drive it, but it's very Sondheim. <laughs> he'd come up with uh, something. Yeah, I'm sure he would. I'm sure he could have. Um, anyway, uh, I thought that uh, this was uh, this was something that people would be interested in. And because I was suddenly more interested in it, too, when I realized uh, in the uh, perspective of time that there really hadn't been, I mean, I've read a lot of biographies of Sondheim and I've read numerous interviews with him. And, and it was all about, um, they were all about his work and his, you know, the fine points of his lyrics and the fine points of his music, but we didn't really get into how he felt about things and how he felt about his work, how he felt about his work and how, protective of his work he was um that's what really um impressed me as i went through all of this stuff and uh, i felt that that uh, that should that should be known that that hadn't been done before and so that's why i wrote the book and during all of these interactions that you had with him and and i i don't want to say that I don't want to put words in your mouth and say that you became friends, but it felt like, especially as it went on, that that as kind of reading through them, they were at least friendly. And especially on his part uh, over the years, did you feel like perhaps getting these kind of firsthand interactions where he kind of revealed things about his work and, and showed how much it meant to him? Did you feel like you ever got to know who he truly was or was it still kind of the guarded celebrity genius at a distance or did he kind of whether it was you personally or the review in general into who he actually was as not only a creator but a human being i had to think back think sometimes who i really was dealing with i mean because i had this conflicting approach to sondheim first of all i've I've certainly uh, appreciated his work so much but on the other hand, I was a journalist and I approached the magazine as a journalist. So, and he was the source for my stories and for the material that was in the magazine. So um, I I had to respect him as a composer lyricist, as the composer lyricist, but I also respect, had to approach him as, okay, here's this guy, he's gonna give me information, I'm gonna write about it, I'm gonna write about what he says, uh, just like I would if, oh, you know, the common council president or somebody, somebody like that. Uh, it was always as a journalist. I had to I had to wear, I wouldn't say two hats, but I had to keep the journalistic hat on all the time. And so I, I was reluctant to get really close to him if, if I could have. And I don't think he would have allowed sure. that. But uh, I, I don't know that I really... I don't know that I really would understand him, and I don't know that I needed to understand him because I was much more concerned about his work than who Stephen Sondheim was. And perhaps the work might have been his best way of letting us know who he was, uh, even if it it was at a bit of a remove at times. What I found interesting was that even though you had these years and years of communications with him for the review, that was not actually the first time that you'd interacted with him and exchanged correspondences with him. And I found this, the first letter that you sent and received from him to be utterly fascinating, not only because it came with 
what to me from a fan's perspective feels like an unbelievable gift. But then also, as you note in the book, looking back, it came at a fairly fraught time in the middle of Sondheim's career. It was. And I didn't realize it at the time because this was 1984 and he was uh, creating Sunday in the Park with George and he was uh, responsible for completing two songs for the second act, two crucial songs for the second act. And everybody was in a tizzy. I mean, I got all this from, from James Lapine's book. Uh, I did not know all this uh, when I received the letter and didn't actually know it until I read James Lapine's book, uh, Finishing the Finish, uh, no, uh, uh can't think of the name. I have it on uh, my bookshelf, but I can't see the title. But yes, I know I, I know which one you're talking about. And it should be noted that the Sondheim Review didn't really get going until the mid-90s. So this is decades before the magazine started. Sure. Yes. Um, so um, I didn't realize the circumstances of his writing to me and and saying that it boosted his ego. And I, I didn't I wondered about that at the time. Why would his ego need both? boosting when he was this world famous composer lyricist and then i re when i read lapine's book i realized that he was uh the show was in trouble people were saying uh, this backstage people were saying it was gonna uh close on opening night and uh he was in much much pressure to write those two songs and still he sent me this kind letter and this cassette tape of uh, songs from his unproduced musical Saturday Night, uh, even though he was under this all of this pressure. And that's now I realize that I, I don't understand how kind and generous the man was to do that at that time. And uh, I appreciated him. I appreciate the letter and the gift so much more now than I did at the time. And I, I did check. It is putting it together how Stephen Sondheim and I created yes. Sunday in the Park with George. So, of course, right. you went with finishing the hat. That was Sondheim's book. The the obvious yes. one that we didn't come up with, putting it together is the most obvious lyric for the other book. But right. um, one, of the th one of the fun stories that I thought that you shared in the book was at some point towards the end of your time as um, as the editor of the review, you kind of stopped getting these letters from him with either further context or corrections um, or, or anything to the articles. And I kind of loved the thought process that you had to kind of take yourself through as to why those letters could have stopped. Um, would you mind sharing what those uh, different possibilities were for why you came down on what were the reasons that Sondheim might have stopped sending you feedback on the different articles in the in the review? Uh, sure. Uh, I think one reason would be that uh, he didn't find anything wrong or so <laughs> he didn't have to write to me anymore. Yeah. Or uh, he respected the magazine so much that um, he he really uh, just took it for granted that it was a, uh, a, a magazine that that didn't have any problems that he had to correct. Mm -hmm. Or maybe he didn't read it anymore. And that I didn't think. I didn't think that was possible because we did continue our relationship uh, on the phone and uh, and frequently. So I don't think that was possible. So I think he mainly thought, well, okay, 
this guy in Milwaukee has created this magazine. I've read it for a number number of years now. It's credible magazine, uh, and I will read it uh, still. But I don't have to, to uh, comment on every story that appears in it. When you when you did talk to him on the phone, even after he stopped sending in these letters, and even after you stopped being the the editor, even what. Did that relationship change? Did he did did he reveal anything deeper about the the works themselves than maybe he did when he was more focused on sending corrections or sending information to uh, add to the uh, whether credibility or accuracy of the articles and essays in the in the magazine itself? Well, what what impressed me that during this whole 10 year period when I was editor, he was working on the show that began as wise guys mm -hmm. and ended up as road show. And it had numerous changes. Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, it was produced as, you know, it was done as a reading and then finally got, did, got a production in Chicago and then in Washington uh, and didn't, and it, he knew it and he didn't work, but he was so excited about it. And when we talked on the phone, that's what impressed me the most. He, he, he wasn't so concerned about my work, but he was work, concerned about his work. And it was the same as when he talked about passion in our very first phone call, when I told him that I was establishing this Sondheim Review. He was talking about this show that became Roadshow as a living kind of thing that he and John Weidman were working on and he was going to do this with it and he was going to put this in this place and this song was going to go there and that song was going to come out and it was so interesting to see the, his mind working and telling me all this uh, and it, you know it was in the mind of a genius that, that I had an, an access to and that was so interesting to me that, um, and I, I just love that, love that being a part of that. Yeah, obviously, I would imagine Sondheim is probably the the closest person you ever got to that's at that genius level. But was there anything that you saw from him that seemed familiar to anybody else that you'd either? covered in your journalism career or anything else? Because I, I always wonder if the geniuses that we find in especially the performing arts and in musical theater, if they're the same types of geniuses that happen in any other walk of life, be it creative, be it athletic, be it political, anything. Did you have you ever come across anybody who had that level of genius in your career? I think the only other person I didn't come across him, but but the person that I would uh, compare him to was Frank Lloyd Wright, hmm. who, an architect and a Wisconsin-born architect <laughs> who, was, who was a genius as well. And from what I, although I I never met him, I did meet his wife and I did meet his um, his uh, architects and wrote about them. I was into Frank Lloyd Wright before <laughs> before <laughs> I was into Stephen Sondheim, but. Um, he was a genius as well. And from what I've read about him, uh, he was also one so focused and so uh, particular about his work and um, and didn't didn't uh, didn't 
expositor or any any complaints or anything. He he was very much the same kind of mentality that Stephen Sondheim was, I think. Hmm. That's fascinating. And I and I it, it's interesting to me is when you think about the literal construction of buildings that you get from an architect with the still, I guess, literal, but a little bit more figurative construction of a musical. There there are things that kind of have to blend the logical and the logistical with the creative. And so that's that's a very interesting comparison that I probably wouldn't have, have thought about on my own. So that's that's fantastic. I'll wrap it up here with with a few uh, questions. You mentioned in the in the book that over your years of communicating, you really only had one memorable disagreement. And I don't want you to give the whole story away because we want people to get and read the book. But um, can you give us a little bit of a taste as to what that disagreement um, was about and 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 any kind of details to kind of give some folks an insight into what happened there? Yeah, it was just a surprise because um, he, uh, instead of writing, he called and he was furious about uh, a review that we had run uh, in the magazine. And, and um, he was very sp- specific about his complaints and uh, which I, I didn't understand. And he, and he wrote a note as, as well and he called the second time. So this went on for several weeks. Uh, but then he dropped it. I mean, that's what confuses me the most still. Uh, he was so upset about it, but then he never mentioned it again. And I don't, we never resolved the, the question of why he was so upset about this review. And I wish we had, because uh, I don't really know to this day what his problems were. And it's it kind of, well, I don't want to psychoanalyze Stephen Sondheim, obviously, <laughs> but but um, it seemed to me that he was so protective of his work, and that is true of so many artists, I think, that uh, the least bit of criticism was very offensive, and uh, I think uh, he was defending his work and couldn't understand criticism of it. I mean, look at what happened after Merrily We Rolled Along when he decided that he wasn't going to write musicals anymore after that disaster. Uh, uh, well, I don't know if that was a disaster, but it's certainly, you know, a two-week run. It's a not a commercial a, disaster, yeah. probably, at least. Yeah. So uh, I think that reveals a lot about Stephen Sondheim. I wish I, I, wish I had known more about the whole incident and I wish we had resolved it, but we never will now. Beyond that kind of unanswered question, is there anything now that obviously he he's gone now, but if there was one question you could ask him beyond this one, is there anything that you're still curious about even after all these years of, of having had, you know, direct access to him over, uh, over time? Oh, let me think. I think if if I were to meet him now, and uh, maybe meeting him would be too uh, too um, too important, but maybe if we had talked on the phone now, I think I would ask him, Mr. Sondheim, and I think well we were on a Paul and Steve basis then, but now I think I would call him Mr. Sondheim, and I would say, Mr. Sondheim, what was your greatest um, 
its pleasure in creating which work? Uh, which which work gave you the most pleasure? I would like to know his personal feelings about his work. Yeah. That's that I, I want to know that question, too. So uh, I hope that somebody has an answer to that in a forthcoming book or something. But um, that that would be fascinating to know. And, and the last question I'll ask is this. You talked about kind of him as an artist and kind of being. Um, you know, defensive of his work since your and perhaps even during I don't know the exact timeline of these of your journalism career, you have gone on to write books yourself uh, set in Tuscany, which is my mother's favorite place in the world. So um, I appreciate that. Do you find yourself um, reacting from an, an artistic standpoint in any way similar to Sondheim? Not that I would you know, say that there it's the same, uh, you know, thing and people have a lot of different ways that approach it, but going from the journalism part of your career to something that is, is more creative and, and more self, um, self-reflective, uh, do you find any artistic connections or personal connections between how Sondheim reacted to you as a journalist, as you do to the greater world, uh, you know, digesting your work? Uh, that's a good question. I hadn't thought about it, but I guess that there is. Uh, yeah, uh, after I, besides my journalist career, I have started to write um, books set in Tuscany, which is the where my roots are. My father was born in a little town northwest of Lucca, and my mother's parents were born in the same town. So uh, I have very deep roots from both sides of my family in this town, and I visited there often and had relatives there. And I think the creative part of writing fiction uh, set in this town could be similar to a composer in that you take some information and you you make a story out of it. And that, that brings me back to Sondheim, I think, because Sondheim's main point in writing, it said so many times, the point is the story. He was so interested in the story. And that's what I was doing in my fiction is I was writing a story with a beginning, a middle and an end and with characters that I grew to love and uh, things that happened to them that weren't always nice, but they always came out okay. And that's what Sondheim did in his work. And I'm certainly not comparing my fiction to Sondheim's musicals, but um, there is some relationship, I think. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, Paul, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this. It's a it's a wonderful book. And as you said, there's a lot of biographies about Sondheim, and I'm sure there will be even more coming out now that, that he is no longer with us. But having this direct first person account uh, of so much of his career is is really fantastic and a, and a tremendous addition to the to the immense library of Sondheim related work so I, I'm excited for everyone to hopefully have a chance to read this and, and to kind of digest all of the information that you pulled together here thank you so much I really appreciate this whole thing and I hope readers will enjoy the book as well and learn some things <laughs>